In this episode of The Picture of Wealth, Dustin sits down with Ian Beveridge, a successful COO, to talk about surrounding yourself with the right people. So if I'm going to commit to working a bunch, then I want the people I'm working with to be people that I would want to spend time with. The foundation of his business. That was the foundation of the business was really my wife's expertise. And moving out of the city of Toronto. Being closer to our family, our parents. Uh, it's just a, a better pace of life for, for this phase. So make sure to tune in and catch all this and more. And start living more of your life now. That is the voice of Ian Beveridge, Chief Operating Officer of Hobry Design Studio, who this company, and you've probably never heard of Ian, but he has a lot of great insight to share about, you know, working the corporate ladder, you know, climbing the ladder, living in the downtown Toronto condo life and taking the plunge to move their business online and uh, move back to Winnipeg and run it successfully to some impressive numbers for how small their team is. But this company designs things like pens, day planners, hydration bottles, and now high-end floaties for companies like Indigo, TJ Maxx, uh, and these, these bigger stores and it's a business that you'd never even know but he handles logistics with china getting things produced shipped here landed on time for the right seasons and also manages a very small team and again runs a a great business and uh, i think we i unpack a lot of health things health hacks that he does to keep balanced and uh, live out in the burnout zone for a period of time to get things done but then come back to a good place of space to recharge and attack the next challenge. So I, I am excited to share this episode with you. Let's get started. Hi, Ian. I'm happy to uh, have you on the podcast today. I can't wait. I have no idea where this is going to go. And uh, I'm more excited than I've ever been about that, only because of our history. And uh, we're going to unpack a lot of things about lifestyle, balance, financial responsibility. Who knows? But thank you very much uh, for coming on the show today. I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, conversation and seeing where it goes. So both of us uh, have recently, well, recently in the last year or two, made moves to, uh, you know, just bigger moves. I'll say bigger moves in in moving our actual families and our houses. And you're a little bit less time into that transition than me, but you were a downtown Toronto condo dweller, loving the energy. And now you've got, uh, you know, a large yard, trees. Uh, how's the transition been so far? Uh, it's it's been pretty good. So so I moved from downtown Toronto back to Winnipeg, where I'm where I'm born and raised, where my wife is born and raised. Uh, it certainly hasn't been without hiccups, but overall the decision is one that um, like we're incredibly happy we made. We're happy with you know where we've ended up and and what it means for our family. That's that's probably the biggest driver of that decision was just you know in in our twenties and our early thirties, being in downtown Toronto was amazing because there's restaurants and bars and sporting events and concerts and friends and it was just a, a great way to live and now as parents of a, a two-year-old son and, and hoping to have a, a growing family still being closer to our family our parents having a yard to run around in having parks nearby uh, it's just a, a better pace of life for for this phase well it's uh you know that that's a facetious question which is uh this is a lifestyle podcast and i really respect you for making the transition and i know Many of the listeners are sort of listening and thinking, you know, but I've got so much going on. I'm hard charging and I'm doing life like I thought it should be done. But I've kind of got a question. I've got just something that's bugging me saying, what if? But they, they can't just commit. So was there any fear, thoughts, you know, 
or thing when you were back in Toronto saying, I just don't know if this is right. And if, well, answer that first. And then I got, I got a kind of a, a sub bullet after question. Yeah. Like, so, so the answer is there is lots of uncertainty about it. Um, because I think for my wife, Brianna and I, we both would look at living in Toronto as, um, like a really stimulating environment in terms of professionally, um, our staff is there, our team is there creatively. There's a lot of energy in the city. So from a personal perspective, like I absolutely loved being there. It was a great experience. Um, but when you stepped out and looked at the bigger picture of our family, having a son in, in downtown Toronto and, and having no family there, um, the idea of moving back to Winnipeg, whenever we'd have those fears or worries or concerns in our mind about if it was the right decision, once you thought about it in the context of what does this mean for our son to live 10 minutes from all four of his grandparents who are still alive and healthy, his cousins are down the street. Um, a lot of my friends that I grew up with here have kids first in Toronto. Um, not a lot of the people we spent time with were in that phase of life. Just look every time you do the pros and cons and think through it, once you put the framework on what's best for our family, it was really an easy decision. Yeah, you've definitely, you're going to make me work for this uh, because that's, uh, I couldn't catch you on that one. But uh, you have a successful business, which we're going to get into. And, and uh, was there any fear around what would happen with the business? If you sort of up and leave and you, you know your team and this infrastructure, it's you know it's set and you've got customers and like walk me through how you process that to come to a you know because the family thing hundred percent I I get it I could see how that would not you know for a smart guy like you not be a deal breaker but but the business because you're a business person yeah how did how does that go so we had talked about moving home for some time. Um, and every time we'd have that discussion, it would stop on, you know, what does that mean for our business? It's going to be really detrimental to not live where our staff is and to not live where our largest customers are based. And so that was all sort of a, just would stop the conversation. We And we didn't really progress past that for some time. So there was significant concern and, and fear about that. And then if you were to go back to February of 2020, right before COVID sort of became a, a global issue is something we'd heard about, but it wasn't nothing had really shut down at that point. Uh, fortuitously, we actually set up all of our staff with remote access to to manage all of our files and all of our everything uh, remotely, and that was just for ease of file sharing and, and data like that. So then, once COVID actually hit, and our employees were no longer going to the office, we weren't going to the office. Customers weren't coming; they weren't having meetings. Basically, from March of 2020 all the way into, I don't, I can't even remember, probably April of 2021, we didn't see anybody. And so that was the piece that we needed in terms of the test proof that we could actually work remotely from our staff, from our customers, and, and have it work. Um, so that would probably be the biggest silver lining was of COVID, if, if the only silver lining. It allowed us to learn that we could actually work remotely. And we could live in Winnipeg and still operate and run the business. So but do you have, that was a huge concern. Oh, I think it's lots of people's concern. And it's, uh, you know, the clients I love working with the most are the ones that are right on the tip of the iceberg, but they just can't see it. Uh, and all of a sudden they realize, wow, like this could totally be a reality. I think it'd be a good time to um, give us a, a two-minute introduction to... Hobry, I'm, I'm going to come back to you being a career man at uh, at a job with a great company for a long time, but taking the plunge. But I think we should introduce Hobry. What do you guys do? Uh, and and how many staff are you kind of managing? And then I'm going to 
touch on this this work remote program? Yeah, so Hobry is a stationary design company that my wife and I founded in 2015. So my wife was previously a buyer for uh, TJX and Sear. We're back on. So give me the Coles notes on Hobry and how it uh, came about. Hobry was formed or founded in, in 2015 by my wife and I. And my wife previously had worked as a buyer for TJX and for Sears and worked at uh, Chapters in the Go Ahead office. So she had a lot of retail experience both sourcing products, uh, working with manufacturing overseas uh, and in North America and designing products. So we saw an opportunity to create some products of our own and try to sell them back to the foundation of the business was really my wife's expertise, both in creating art, knowing customers, and then understanding how to manufacture something. So um, from that, we were able to grow to today where we have six full-time staff in an office in Toronto and we work with uh, five or six major retailers across North America, uh, stretching a little bit now into the UK and into Australia. So that's sort of our business and what we do. So if you were to go into a, a retailer and look in their stationery department, you know, pens, calendars, journals, planners, um, all sorts of those tabletop items would be the types of things that we might uh, might have made for that retailer. This is a fascinating uh, story, and and uh, I'm hoping we can unpack it further because only because I've known you for so long and seen it kind of grow. Uh, very inspiring. So congratulations on on getting that going and come back to the work remote, leaving Toronto, running the the, the staff. Has there been any key software, any key courses you took, any key books you read that were like, ah, thank you. There's this tool that has helped us run our business more efficient and given you this, you know, this privilege to be back close to family. Yeah, the biggest thing that would come up would be the software that we started using. Uh, we started using Ignite to do uh, cloud storage for all of our files. So if you think of our, our team, there's six employees, two of them design things all day. So they're drawing, they're painting, they're creating art digitally. And the other four people are predominantly putting those onto production files. So they might take the artwork that you would see on a pen box and actually apply it to the file. So whenever you're dealing with really large files, um, storing them, saving them, and allowing people to work on them, different people to work on them and transfer them back and forth is incredibly important. Um, so having Ignite where we have all of our files that everybody can access shared in one central uh, cloud computing base has allowed multiple people to access files easily and work remotely. Right. And it, that's the biggest thing. So that's that's sort of the nuts and bolts on sort of the, we'll call it the front of house uh, with you guys, yep. but back of house or, or back of warehouse <laughs> would be uh, trying to get... So, so maybe, maybe keep going with Hobry. Give us a... Like you don't manufacture a pen. So you come up with a design then it's applied to some stock pen chassis, I assume, and then it's made. Or maybe kind of take my jumbled up sure, <laughs> sure. line there. Generally, generally, how we would work would be we'd work with our customers on a season. So we might... Right now, it's, um, you know, it's the end of August. So we are working on spring 2022 collections. So say Valentine's Day collections all the way into spring. So we would either brainstorm or work with a customer and say, hey, this is sort of the theme for this season. This is what we want to do. Um, this is a style or a collection type. And that would, that would mean 
these are the colors we want. This is sort of uh, the piece types we want. All of that sort of stuff gets ironed out. Then we would go back to our um, our manufacturing and we'd sort of go, well, we've got this chassis or this type of pen that might work well. And we want a click pen or we want a, a plastic pen or um, the big thing we've been working on for about two years is eliminating as many redundant plastics from the business as we can. So recycled papers and smaller windows that are clear and don't have plastic backers, things like that. Um, so then we would take those designs, go to our manufacturing partner, produce those files, um, you know, get things made, get a purchase order, and then uh, set up to have it shipped to North America. And how has that shipping process been? <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I kind of so wondered. So I, maybe I thought you'd be like, if you do so much volume that you'd be preferred, or you get on the you know the first C cans, but that's not the way it works. You know, it's it's interesting. So we've had some customers say to us in the past six six weeks, eight, well, a little longer than that. They said, you know what, we want to buy even more volume from you. Can you bring it in for us? And we've gone to different shipping partners that we've worked with now for six years, and they've essentially said, don't take on new business right now because we can't guarantee you that you'll have a container to ship this. So it's uh, ah, so it's certainly a struggle right now. It's a bit of a bottleneck in terms of. I think just every supply chain globally, it's it's messing up right now. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, I mean it's it's been a really interesting thing because so we ship from different ports, but at one point in the last month, one of our ports was closed in China due to COVID concerns, so they shut down. So then we got four or five containers, we sent them off to a different port. By the time they arrived at that port, there was a COVID case. That port shut down. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there's all sorts of these logistic issues right now that. Uh, you know, there, there's no solution. Like, it's not like you're doing something wrong or a shipper is making mistakes. It's just the global environment right now. But it's it's incredibly challenging to make sure that goods arrive for the season that they're scheduled, that they arrive on time. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a challenge for sure. So I guess that that's what keeps like any business. I don't assume there's hundreds of competition. Well, maybe there is hundreds of competition, but you're you know you've got a stick handle through the quagmire of. Thing and, and that's what makes you successful is, is navigating those those problems and uh, so and just to kind of finish off Hobry the products that you're selling you mentioned a couple of the suppliers uh, you know Indigo Chapters this is not uh, dollar store pens this is uh, custom uh, things you know you showed me some great uh, you know tour of your house with the, all the, your, your stuff and the hydration bottles and the the importance of health and and that sort of being an exciting thing, but it is there ever a, an interest to go cheaper prices to sell more, or are you kind of you've got a different vision for the business? Uh, you know, I would say it's kind of both um, because we don't sell so so not everything we sell is branded Hobry. A lot of what we sell will be branded, say Indigo Paper, or we'll white label other retailers' brands for them and provide their private label products. Gotcha. So, so largely, it's driven by our customers and what they what they want. Um, so, you know, if if say the dollar store, for example, wanted to purchase pens from us, we could probably find a pen that would work within their price points. But so far, the value that we've been able to provide for more of our customers is the design element. It's you know making something look nice so that when you're at your office working from home and you're using a pen, you look at you go, hey, I like this design, or you picked this pen for a reason, or it's got a saying on there that you like. It makes you laugh and get a different pen for every day of the week. So that.
kind of flair to the products, which naturally does lead to a higher price point item. So one of the, one of the things I really respect about Hobry and you and Brian's vision is, uh, you know, long time ago I, I left a firm. You know, I was starting my own firm, and it was going to be you know all these employees and build it as big as you can. And and you came from a firm or were a partner of a firm with approximately forty to fifty staff. Uh, you know, lots of moving parts, and you have this huge engine. And right now you're running, you know, a successful business without talking numbers. It's a good, lucrative business for you know. I'll say the your your lifestyle and for the, what you need, but a smaller team, you know, six people in a, in a big business providing services to national firms, relatively small. Uh, is that a vision you want to keep going, or is it? Do you want to grow to you know forty, fifty people, or or you know what is your your vision for your own life? It is does that serve your life? Kind of a yeah. jumbled question, but you know where I'm going. No, it's a, it's a great question. So when I started at the investment firm that I used to work with where Dustin and I had a chance to work together, I think I was the 10th or 11th employee. And I worked there from the time you know, we had 10 employees till we had 45 or 50. And when we had 50 employees, I would say that all of them were awesome. Like It was an incredible place to work still. But it definitely has a different feel than a team that's uh, 10 or 11 people, because when there's 10 of you, you know, you know, what everybody did on the weekend, because you might have been, you know, hanging out with them. And just there's that bond or that closeness with the small team that it's just harder to replicate as your numbers grow. Um, so certainly, like, my wife and I, we both really enjoy the size of the team, because we have really great relationships with all of all of our team. And uh, it still is like on that really personal level. In, in terms of the, like the question of what is the future, I don't know. Like it's it's something we've asked ourselves. Like, do you want to be big? Do you want to be humongous? And we've talked to different people about this before. And at some point, like that incremental dollar that you make isn't going to be worth the incremental work or you know, I guess changing your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I don't really know what the answer is apart from saying if we can continue to hire people that we really feel like are an extension of our family and, and can help us in our business, we want to keep doing that. And I think yeah. if we hit a point where we're hiring people just to get the next dollar to try to satisfy something, then we would probably uh, have to spend a little more time thinking about that. But right now, we're just sort of... We love the team that we have and the size that we have. And we sort of add people as we need. We haven't necessarily set out saying, let's add five people and find the business. As we need people, or as we find talented people who we want to work with, then we we work together. So it isn't so much. So here's something that, that I uh, debate of you know. So there's you know the philosophy that we talk about a lot, or that I've coached a lot about is you know you don't have to be you have this big thing to live your lifestyle. You can still save. You know if you're making six hundred grand a year versus you know making three fifty, but you know, really, you're just saving more. But you're if you're making three fifty, and you can already save enough that your plan is in place. Then, but you're you're sacrificing weekends and evenings, and you're stressed. Then, then I don't know that that's right. But the balance is you know famous word balance of having that entrepreneurial drive and that fire in your belly to grow. And so there's kind of these levers that I, I don't know if it's if if you see it being as black or white as as maybe I. You know, I've I used to think it was either this way or this way, but maybe it doesn't have to be. Maybe it could be, you know, you're still got the drive and trying to grow. And you know, I don't I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on sort of that? 
it's it's hard. It's something that that we struggle with finding that balance because Brianne is so talented at identifying opportunities that when we're very busy and work is busy and, and going full speed, it's wonderful. Things are great. Then you get, I don't know, maybe a week or two where things are slower or you've got a little time to breathe. And my natural reaction would be more to say, okay, let's let's exhale. Let's let's take a minute. And hers will be, you know what? I just identified a new opportunity. Why don't we look at getting into puzzles? Why don't we look at getting into pool floaties? Why don't we do this and this? And next thing you know, we're off on a new vein of, of business growth. So it's, it's both a great... Uh, great thing to have, but at some point, it's also we've had conversations saying, "Hey, let's just let's slow." And so I don't I don't know the answer in terms of shutting off that mentality of grow versus where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, for us right now, I definitely think we both feel like we're a little bit too much in the in the weeds of the business still, where you know taking a week off to go camping or to do something as a family would, would be very challenging right now. Um, so I don't know if that means adding a couple more staff, if it's handing over more responsibility, that's something we've, we've gotten better with as we've grown. But I think for us in terms of balance, that's something we're still, still figuring out. We still have sort of been more in that, um, go, go, go throttle down mode as opposed to stepping back and seeing the big picture. Yeah. And you, you worked being a, a wealth lifestyle uh, the mantra we always say is, you know, helping people live more of their life now, yet being responsible for their future. So, in your previous life, you worked for an investment firm. You worked with, you know, predominantly high net worth clients or successful families in the investment accounts, and then successful advisors as well. So, you've seen, uh, you know, I've had years of experience entrenched in the in the wealth space. Uh, is there any sort of nuggets you gleaned out of that past history out of you know people or stories of advisors that uh you know you, you thought really managed their lifestyle and, and business growth well or uh clients that because I know you were front facing for a little while with clients that you you know really recognized that you know wow uh you know just because you're rich doesn't mean you're happy and you know but you know when you're I'll say when you're, it's easier to see happiness in a, in a convertible. You know, it's like, so, yeah. so, uh, is, is there any stories you have from back in the day that really stand out as like, uh, you know, milestone stories that you've tried to reflect going forward? Well, I think there is a, not necessarily an individual story, but I think there definitely was a common theme that the people that were happiest were usually the ones who were working with people that they really liked. And so when I think of my own life, I spend so many hours working. You really have to enjoy the people you work with because I don't have as much time as I used to have to spend with my friends or my family or or just sort of free time to do what I want. So if I'm going to commit to working a bunch, then I want the people I'm working with to be people that I would want to spend time with. And so probably the most successful clients are the happiest ones I found, even if they had you know not a lot of money or if they had like more money than they could ever spend. They'd surrounded themselves by people who could help them achieve their goals and who they really wanted to spend time with. Uh, I would say that would be the biggest thing that I would always find. If you're in a meeting with somebody and you haven't met them before and, and they've got boatloads of money, but they have to check their phone six times in a 40-minute meeting because things aren't going to work if they're not there and they're stressed out of their mind. Those people, like I always saw that, I was like, man, you have such a great opportunity if you could just step out a little bit. Um, yeah. 
So the, I don't know, that would probably be the biggest thing that I found was just the people who had teams around them that they could trust and that they liked were just infinitely wealthier than those that weren't. Yeah. And I, I re- one thing I, I will publicly uh, really shout out and respect to you is, you know, the firm you used to work for used to do a number of events. And, you know, these would be events, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a conference uh, with speakers and, you know, it's down south or it's in Toronto or it's at Big White. And, you know, you look like you got to go on this great lifestyle trip and uh, you just kick your feet off, your feet off. Oh, this is great. Uh, you know, th- there is a burnout factor to to working uh, those kind of events because, you know, maybe I don't know where my head's going with with that, but unpack unpack what it's like to to hard charge uh, working for a firm, and uh, you know, hosting events specifically because I think that's where business is done or that's what's marketed to us. Is it's like you got to meet and greet and you got to schmooze and you got to do all this stuff and that's how business gets done. Do you think that you know, was exhausting or, or, or gave you stamina for now? Maybe I'll put it that way. I put it stamina for now. That's a great question. I, I found it more exhausting than necessarily like an endurance athlete who's say building up ability to go long distances. Just traveling repeatedly for close to nine years, um, it definitely wears you down. But again, so it was interesting. Like, so hosting people, it's one of those things, even if you're at a nice place, like we're up in Big White and we're having business discussions, you, you're enjoying yourself, you're around great people, but you're still working. Your brain is still working 24-7. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those type of trips, well, they're, they're tons of fun. They're absolutely exhausting. And, and you'd get home after one of those and you just need like 24, 48 hours just to sort of decompress and you know do some laundry and just maybe like get to the gym, just do something normal because um, they're very exhausting, intense periods of, of business. Yeah. So they're great too. Like I do think when you're face to face with people, that's where you build the personal connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to, as you said, in terms of like working for a firm and like essentially working for somebody else to do those things, that never really um, deterred my my energy or my effort level or my my drive at all because the mission of what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish in terms of helping Canadians build their wealth and doing it in a sound and responsible way, like I, I have internalized that belief. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't, it was difficult to get up at 4.30 in the morning to get to the airport, to get on a plane, to fly across the country, to start a 10-hour day of meetings. That was hard at 4.30 in the morning. But the energy you get from the people that you meet with when you know that you're helping a Canadian get closer to their goals or you know, I'm sitting down with one of your clients and you've built a comprehensive plan for them and they understand what's going on and I'm just checking off, sort of going, here's everything we've done since we last met. That is just like a wealth of or just a fountain of energy that you you get once you're actually sitting face to face with people. Yeah, uh, the hard part is sitting on the plane or like on your way home after. But <laughs> those are the parts that are that are challenging. The actual meeting with people part was was an incredible experience. Yeah, well, I think uh, Neil Pasricha from the Happiness Equation book had a concept where you know successful people can live out in the high thinking, high doing zone uh, for longer than than the average person. But if not uh, sort of retreated if they don't retreat back to the space zone, which is low doing, low thinking, 
that's uh, you know a potential for a, a mental health sort of burnout situation. So when you go through all those you know high thinking, high doing situations, uh, and I know uh, fitness is is a part of your thing. Uh, how do you how do you come? How do you get the space back, or is there a new strategy or new you know thing? And I, I think if we were at Big White at a conference and uh, we all needed a workout, and we went to the underground parking lot. And we, I can't remember what we had. Did we have a skipping rope? I think we had a skipping rope. And a ladder. And a ladder. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we were lifting the ladder. So we do this workout. So obviously that's, you know, one thing, but is there any other things that you right now, or you're sort of the Ian in 2021, you know, find space or, or, um, and, and per, you know, just sort of, it feels good to do and is good for you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was saying before we started recording, I always view sort of September as the start of the year. And having moved in June and just been been busy with transitioning, working a business remotely and buying a house and getting all that sort of figured out, I would say my my routines and my personal space and my ability to sort of retreat has actually never been lower than it probably has been recently. Um, so I'm sort of looking at this next couple of months as a period to to reset some of those things. Right. Um, so for me, like exercise is obviously number one. Um, but now living outside of a downtown area, I found the pace is a lot slower in general in, in Winnipeg than downtown Toronto. Yeah. Uh, so actually, just getting outside in the nice months has just been a huge reset for me. If even just a fifteen-minute walk around the block, we live in a, a nice treat area. It just slows things down. It just calms things down a little bit. That would be the biggest thing. Is actually just going for a walk. Um, and not listening to music when I do it, not listening to a podcast, even though I, I love that, no audiobooks. It just just go outside and just just walk, and don't try to think about anything. Like don't try to solve a problem or think of your to do list. Just <laughs> whatever you think about, just it's fifteen minutes. Just just yeah. do that. Um, no, I think that's. Uh, I'm chuckling because on uh, on Fridays I mountain bike in the mornings, and I. I had a little. I just mountain bike by myself last week, but I uh, I had no headphones, and I and I didn't even take my water pack, and I just you know was kind of just one with with nature and thought I'll just try this just to see because there's always something to figure out. There's always something to put out to the universe. There's always some some problem to to figure out. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's uh, that's when when you think about the five uh, richest people you know. Are they the five wealthiest people you know? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, my, I got to try to categorize who the five wealthy or richest people I know are. Um, <laughs> well, in general, uh, you know, like, you think of the richest person you know. Uh, yeah, like I would say, I don't suspect this is the answer for most people, but I would say the people that I know who are the richest have done a great job of focusing on their wealth and as measured by happiness and health and family and, and those things. So I would right. say generally speaking, they have, but I, I would say with my experience working in the investment industry, those things are usually not aligned. Usually the wealthiest people, sorry, the richest people are not the wealthiest in terms of uh, the things I would categorize as important. Right. But you just kind of identified something that I never thought about in any of the, you know, 59 episodes that the definition of rich uh, might be different. Like you had mentioned, you know, rich 
as like a, you know, they're, they were well-rounded, you know, where I've always been comparing rich and wealth. Uh, but that's, I like that. Well, like, to me, I think of like rich as like money. Right. And that's what I kind of think of it too, is like the end all be all. But, but then like wealth is, you know, happiness, it's your health, it's, it's your community around you. It's, it's sort of encompassing. I mean, like financial is a part of wealth to me still, because it is important to me, but it's a much larger, larger conversation. Yeah. And you, you have a two-year-old. So say your two-year-old is listening to this podcast 20 years from now. He's 22 and he's right at the prime zone where he needs uh, some coaching and just sort of a, a good mindset thing. You know, what would, what would your top three things, you know, in your 40 years of existence, what, what would those top three things or top one thing, you know, mantra, one-liner, um, you know, yeah. I don't have a mantra, but so one thing I've been thinking about lately has been how, and I sort of alluded to this earlier, I have a lot less time in my day to spend with the people I would choose to spend my time with if I just had all sorts of free time. And when I was 22 years old, I had a lot of time uh, to spend time with anybody. And so I would say one advice I would give to myself or to my son when they're in the early 20s is really identify who you want to spend time with and spend time with them because you're not always going to have as much free time to spend with whoever you like. So right. identify those people that are important to you and, and make sure you spend time with them. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, that's one thing I'll focus on. That's really good, uh, really good words. And Ian, I, I thank you for uh, today. I think that uh, lots of places we could go. I'm, I'm interested to watch Hobry uh, and it's, it's sort of quiet success uh, behind the scenes. And uh, we'll see if you keep it at six people or grow it. And I look forward to checking in uh, in the coming years. So thanks a lot for being on the show today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate your support. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.